Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Brexit Means, the Guardian's weekly podcast bringing you up to date with what it means to be leaving the EU. I'm Dan Roberts, the paper's Brexit policy editor, and with me today is Eloise Todd, a special guest from the campaign group Best for Britain. As regular listeners will know, we spent a lot of time in recent weeks exploring what no deal might look like. So we thought it was time we dug a little into what no Brexit might look like. So what circumstances might it make sense for the country to call the whole thing off? Uh, is that even possible? And, and, and how might it come about? But before we get into that, perhaps a little bit ahead of ourselves, um, perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about Best for Britain and what your approach to all of this is. So Best for Britain is a campaign organisation and we're working to keep the door open to staying in if the deal is bad for the country. And we're very focused on the vote in Parliament next year because the process is not actually over. The biggest decision is yet to come and when MPs look at that deal next year, we want them to do what's best for Britain, hence the name. And do you think there is a good chance that they'll get a chance to have a vote that could reverse Brexit? Because at the moment, the government's umming and ahhing about whether it'll be a voter, take it or leave it type vote on just on the deal. I mean, how's your, what's your sense of whether it'll be a more meaningful vote? So just firstly, we don't see this at all as reversing the uh, process. The government absolutely has a mandate to negotiate from the referendum. Um, that's absolutely clear. But what they don't yet have is the mandate to sign off. And if you look at Article 50, to get down into the weeds, maybe a little too early, um, it Never says... Never too early for this podcast. <laughs> so it says very clearly that, that um, countries should leave according to their own constitution. And most people think that means with uh, a vote in Parliament that we haven't actually signed off Brexit just yet. So in terms of how we get there, um, we think that a couple of things are really important. This is actually about public opinion. It is still about the will of the people. But we hope that over the course of the next year, we can have the kind of debates that we didn't really have time for before the referendum campaign, um, before the referendum happened in 2016. And we are seeing a lot more appetite for people to talk about this and learn about what the consequences might be. So what we want to happen is to have this debate across the country, engage everybody, not just the people um, in SW1 and in the Westminster bubble, but people all across the country understand what it might mean to them 
um, to leave the EU on the terms the government comes back. And we want to connect them with their members of parliament and to say, make your voices heard. These people represent you. If you're not happy with what the government comes back with, make your voice heard and let's do what's best for all of us and what's best for the country. And, and do you see the mechanism for that pressure being applied being through the parliamentary process? I mean, you're, you think that vote on the, on the deal is the, is, the, is, the, is the crunch point, do you, rather than, say, a second referendum or something like that? The vote in Parliament is the vote that we know has to happen right now. And actually, the next couple of months are going to be crucial for that. So we have the withdrawal bill coming up, 14th of November, if it doesn't get shunted again, that is. And a really crucial amendment um, put forward by Dominic Grieve, which should secure a meaningful vote next year. And of all the amendments, of all the, I think it's topped 400 now, that's the one that's most important. We have to have that. And to your point earlier about does this mean that, you know, if we either vote for it or not, it'll be deal or no deal? No, a meaningful vote means the right for Parliament to reject any kind of deal that they don't think is right for the country. None of this nonsense about automatically just uh, capitulating into WTO terms. That is another kind of deal um, that the Parliament should take a view on. Uh, so it's really important that we don't let the government kind of play games with our democracy and that we really have Parliament uh, fulfilling its role and able to kind of reject any deal that's not good for the country, if people want that. So I haven't studied the Grieve Amendment in perhaps the detail I should have done, but is it therefore correct to think of it then in being three choices for MPs, except the deal that the government brings back from Brussels, assuming there is a deal, reject the deal and leave on WTO terms, or dot 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 what what is the third option is it go back and try again go back and negotiate again is it call the whole thing off is it hold a general election and then call the thing off? i mean how, what do you what do you see the, the real choice being then for mps so that is the crunch question and that is something that's being looked at right now in terms of how that vote would actually play out um what we're saying is in principle any deal that doesn't live up to current terms, which, let's remember, that's what's been promised by David Davis himself. We shall get the exact same benefits, he said. Keir Starmer has set six very strong tests for the Labour Party. So if those terms aren't met, by their own um, admission, the deal should be rejected. So this is actually Conservative and Labour Party policy as well. We shouldn't think that this is some kind of ruse to, to avoid Brexit. We've just got to do what's best for the country. And hold them to account. And hold them to account, absolutely. So we really want to have those choices on the table. I think how you actually manage the mechanics of the votes needs to be looked at very carefully. Um, what's absolutely clear is that it absolutely won't be and cannot be either you take this deal that the government brings back or you're going to go off the cliff edge into the abyss. That's not a choice. That's um, a decision that's a between... To somebody's head, yeah, really. it's a gun yeah. to somebody's head. That's learning, that's deciding uh, which way to shoot yourself. It's not a choice at all. So we want real choices on the table. And there are several different ways you could go from that, but we think no Brexit should be one of those choices. And tell us a bit more about how you're encouraging members of the public to bring their pressure to bear on MPs. What, what, do you, what, what are the mechanisms for sort of popular kind of change of mood here? 
So right now, for example, we are pushing MPs to speak up and call for the Brexit reports, the secret Brexit studies to be published um, on www.bestforbritain.org. You can sign up and also ask your MP to speak out on this matter. Um, 176 or so MPs right now have spoken out. We think it should be many, many more. And so by connecting citizens with their own MPs and putting them in touch on the key issues that matter, they feel the pressure, they speak out, and things change. And this is all related to the decision that needs to be made next year. If we don't have full information on what the impact of Brexit will be, how on earth can MPs or the country have a take a view on what the deal um, is that the government comes back with. And what's your sense of where the country is on this at the moment? I mean, the polling seems to me to be quite mixed. I mean, there have been, I think that the average of the last five YouGov polls showed 51% thinking we were wrong to leave the EU versus 49% who thought we were right. So a slight reversal on the referendum decision. And I think uh, at the beginning of the year, the first five YouGov polls of the year, they averaged the other way around. 51 said still right to go. 41 said no. So, I mean, that's just one polling company um but it, it it implies things are still very very close is that close enough do you think to start forcing mps to think again about this um or do we need to see a much uh, sort of white a, a sharper delineation in public opinion before we can say that there's been a shift I think you're right that it's still a narrow divide, but what's clear is there is a shift that's beginning to occur. And the effects of Brexit, which, let's remember, hasn't taken place yet and won't for another year and a half if it does go ahead, um, are only just beginning to kick in. So we have a feeling that is being borne out by some of this early data that as people are affected by some of these consequences they might start to think again about uh, how they feel about Brexit. And, you know, this is not anymore about leave or remain. It's not about what happened during the referendum. We're all in the same boat now. We are all citizens of the UK waiting to see what the government brings back. And we have a duty to push our MPs to hold the government to account. This is also about voice and agency. In the early months of this year, before Article 50 was triggered, there was a huge amount of fear um, to even speak out and, and talk about what might be good or not for the country. Right now, the government are in negotiations. They don't really seem to be getting what they want out of those negotiations. They don't really seem to be going that well. They are desperate to move to the trade phase of the negotiations. That's when we'll really know what kind of country or prospects we would have. And it's absolutely essential that we would have that no Brexit option on the table. When else in life do you walk and sign a contract that you haven't even read? When do you agree to move house and move out of your old one before the new one is even ready? Oh, the house moving metaphor. That's used <laughs> on the other side quite a lot, but I'm like, I like to see it turned around. Like, yeah. I want to come back to the negotiations in a minute, but just to pick up on what you said about us all being in the same boat, and I, I take your point that what you mean is that the country is down this path and it's going to affect everybody but there is a very divisive quality to this debate and what worries me is that say play out the scenario that 
a rubbish deal is presented before Parliament. MPs say, no, that's terrible. We, we're changing our mind. And Brexit is called off in some way. There are an awful lot of people who are going to be very angry about that. And even if public opinion has shifted considerably, I mean, Hugo Dixon wrote in our paper the other day that he thought it needs to have shifted to 60-40 uh, in favour of Remain before there's a sort of a enough of a constituency to sort of justify that but even that that's 40 percent of the population will be very very angry if we then change our mind about leaving i mean i just wonder how how you think never mind how we get to 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 a meaningful vote but how do we keep the country from tearing itself apart during this process because it feels to me that anger is rising on both sides at the moment i mean if we thought the referendum was divisive this period is going to be really rocky isn't it I think a lot of the problems in our country um, have been exposed by Brexit but haven't necessarily been caused by Brexit or, in fact, particularly our relationship with the EU. So there's a, a huge job to do in terms of politics in this country, connecting people to their uh, the decisions that govern their lives, opportunities for people. There's such a different life that goes on in London and the South East um, from places all around the country, East Yorkshire, where I grew up, which I absolutely love. It's a totally different rhythm, a totally different sense of opportunity there. Life's harder. There's not as many jobs um, uh, or, or ways to kind of uh, succeed as there are uh, in the south of the country. And I think those divides between the centre and the periphery of the country are really coming to bear now. And our politicians, unfortunately, have become too cut off from the reality of the people they represent. Not in all cases, but the establishment needs to change. The establishment of this country, in all respects, needs to start understanding and looking and sounding um, a lot more like the ordinary people of this country. And a lot, But a lot of those people looked at the problems of modern Britain and saw the EU as a as a, as a cause rather than a solution and it seems to me and that was part of the, the what was going on in the referendum how do you get them to reverse that feel I mean you know you're right we, we need to tackle the root causes of Brexit but the, the a lot of those voters have come to one set of conclusions about how to fix their lives what, what do you think campaign groups like Best for Britain and politicians in general need to be doing to try and show that perhaps this route we're down is not the best way of solving their problems? I think we need to also understand uh, the dynamics that are going on at the European level. Europe's certainly not a perfect institution or set of institutions. Uh, there are reforms going on to make it better. There are already kind of different tiers or different levels of integration um, and the UK is on the outer tier of that. We're not in the euro, not in the kind of Schengen area, as they call it, um, all sorts of opt-outs. So we've got quite a bespoke deal already. Um, and maybe it could become a little bit more bespoke to our needs. So I think there are opportunities for us to get what we want within the EU. Um, but, you know, it depends how we behave in negotiations, I think, over the coming months. Well, I mean, that brings us back to the negotiations, which I think is... is to my mind, one of the most fascinating interplays here is this debate that's going on 
as you say, often just in a Westminster bubble, but nonetheless a debate that is increasingly a national debate too about what we want. And then there's the debate in Brussels about what, what we can get, the, the, the sort of negotiations. And one of the things that's often thrown back at um, people like yourself when, or, or The Guardian when we're there to raise these issues is that it's, 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 it's treacherous to, um, to, uh, to be giving the other side some sense that, the, the the Britain isn't united that um, um, or, or or a more sophisticated version of that argument, which is that if the EU thinks that there is a chance that we might vote down a deal, that incentivizes them incentivizes them not to give us a good deal in the first place. That there's actually an inbuilt sort of process of ensuring we get a bad deal if we have a, an opt out from the deal if you see what i mean I, what do you make of those arguments both the, the the sort of the gut level treachery argument but also this this subtler point about are we incentivizing them to give us a bad deal if we have an opt-out on the treachery point i think the kind of brexit that the government has chosen to pursue is so extreme and actually largely still uh, not um designed they're still kind of uh, going down a road that they don't exactly know what the destination is going to be, but the rhetoric is very extreme. I think that has set us up for the division in the country. It didn't have to be that way. There were plenty of ways to go about things after the referendum um, results, and this extreme route that the government's taken has has led to this kind of division. In terms of Europe, I, I really I hear this quite a lot about you know I think Europe. Are, playing in a way that will give us a, a bad deal so we stay in my read is you what europe really wants is to get on with the job have a clean brexit that's organized and orderly but i don't think they've got actually um much interest in politicking in the uk they've had that for 40 plus years and uh, got the scars to prove it uh, with our press and everything so i actually think that they are wanting to just get on with the job and from what I hear they are a bit confused by the fact that the government doesn't really have a clear outline for its destination in fact the government is currently going to negotiations and saying to the EU please be imaginative the ball is in your court what they seem to be saying is please tell us what to negotiate for because we're not quite sure I mean this is a ludicrous situation it is uh, it does seem to me self-evident that it's hard to imagine how the government could make its negotiating position harder so the idea of blaming every, blaming people like you for, 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 for kind of making it appear that we're not united is pretty rich coming from a cabinet that can't even agree amongst itself but the optics of some of what we're seeing are are awkward I mean we had um, Ken Clark, Nick Clegg and Andrew Adonis go in to see Michel Barnier yesterday in Brussels and I was thinking to myself as I watched them walk in on the TV cameras um it doesn't look great. I mean, uh, on one level, there's the hypocrisy of Barnier telling us that we shouldn't go round his back and talk to other EU countries. We've got to go through him and then appearing to talk to anybody, you know, opposition op opponents across the British political spectrum. And then also that sense, I mean, Nick Timothy, who is is no um, um, saint when it comes to these Brexit negotiations, but he, he said he accused those three figures of deliberately undermining Britain's negotiating position by going in and holding these separate talks with Barnier. And I just wonder, you know, how how 
they tread the line, how you tread the line between kind of making sure the debate is had that you said was missing from the referendum and how we don't look like we are, you know, uh, uh, undermining the formal channels by which we should be negotiating? I think when the formal channels that are negotiating are threatening no deal all the time, then um, it's a bit of an all-hands-to-the-pump kind of situation, and that's how it feels. In terms of our work at Best for Britain, we want to connect with people all over the country and understand what their concerns are um, and really get them connected with their MP, whatever their view, so that they can express that and their MP understands that there are people in this country for whom Brexit is not a done deal, um, the biggest decision is still to come and that their voices should be heard. I think that's really interesting. You meant you make you keep coming back to this point about sort of ordinary voters being the ones that are empowered in this. Because again, one of the difficulties from a presentational perspective is that a lot of the loudest voices cautioning against Brexit at the moment are the voices of business and the CBI and 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 the City and the Financial Times, all making very valid points. But nonetheless, they don't look like they're the will of the people, quote unquote. I mean, Giles Fraser, who's one of our columnists, who is a pro leave um but from a left-wing perspective he tweeted the other day something that stuck in my mind where he said remain has become an attempted coup on behalf of international capital against the wishes of the ordinary voter now you know whether the international capital is quite as organized and, and malign as as giles might think it is nonetheless it does it does feel sometimes like a debate dominated by the cbi the ft and others I, Best Britain, obviously, is coming from a very different perspective. Who else or how else do you think we turn this back to ordinary people's views rather than just a sort of an elite? Before I get to that, I would say I think business has actually been very quiet in being um, critical of Brexit. Uh, For them, they want stability. They want to know what's happening in the next two or three years for their shareholders. And frankly, a lot of them, even though they don't approve and even though the CBI does put out statements saying we would like indefinite transition, Um, they don't actually fight. They're not fighting for a no-Brexit option. What they're saying is we want a little bit of stability before whatever happens because we want time to get ourselves organised. So I don't see them really as big actors on the scene pushing for no-Brexit at all. Um, I think the FT gets accused of that but actually has just done some really good publishing of what the economic impacts would be yeah and and actually you know it just so happens that they'll probably be fairly bad in terms of capital therefore going around the people i think it's the the opposite i think that the businesses right now i i feel like they should they have a duty to stand up and be more honest and more open about the kind of jobs that they're going to transfer the numbers of jobs the moves they're going to make Right now, that's all been shuffled through behind the scenes, no huge announcements, and that's damaging for the country because when that drip-drip effect adds up, people will understand that it is the ordinary people around this country that are going to be impacted by Brexit, and that is the truth that is not being told. And if the future is so rosy, why on earth do we have this mad situation where the government will not release its 58 impact assessment papers, um, which the, the people of this country and groups and businesses and civil society groups deserve to be able to see. 
Well, that sounds, sounds like the start of the next podcast. We're going to have to give you back, I think, because that's the beginning of a very long conversation. But thank you so much for coming in. Next week, we're discussing the NHS in the wake of Brexit, which is another big question. So if you have any questions about that, email us at brexitmeans at theguardian.com. Otherwise, please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers and join the discussion on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Guardian Podcasts. Till next week, I've been Dan Roberts. The producer is Rowan Slaney. And this was Brexit Means. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.